Well, good morning. My name is Mario. I'm the other pastor here. I'm glad that you are with us this morning. Um, what typically happens, I would say, at a, a lot of churches on Easter is, um, not, and this is true of Christmas as well, churches sort of follow the, um, the liturgical calendar or the Christian calendar, or at least acknowledge that there are Christian holidays. I'm sure you know this. Christmas is a Christian holiday. Easter is a Christian holiday. And so it's very common for pastors to get up and preach on the birth of Jesus Christ at Christmas time and to preach on the resurrection of Jesus Christ um, at Easter time, and I am no exception. I have done that every single, I think every single year. This, our church is now about to be 12 years old, so this is my 12th Easter here at Good News. And thanks. Um, so I think it's been true that every single Christmas I have preached on the birth of Christ, and every single Easter I have had a sermon that focuses on the resurrection of Jesus Christ um, until this week. Okay, so this is the, for, this is the first exception. Um, Today, I'm going to tell the story of how I became a Christian. Um, I, there's an elder at our church that was encouraging me to do it, and so I decided, you know what, I'm going to do that while there's a bunch of people here. I'm going to go ahead and share the story of how I came to know Jesus. Um, it's a story that would not even matter if the resurrection were not true. Okay, if Jesus had not come back to life, it wouldn't matter what I said Jesus did in my life. Um, so, <clears throat> but I just wanted to let you know that this is a little bit unusual in that sense. I'm doing something I have not done any of the other 11 years at this church. So if you are someone here who goes, well, I really wanted to hear a sermon about Jesus' resurrection. Well, let me give you some options. First of all, you can go to our church's website and re- go listen to any of the other 11 Easter sermons I've ever preached here. That's one option. Um, another one is, and this is, um, last week we talked a little bit about how Jesus' resurrection affects our future. And in fact, there is a future resurrection that is coming because of Jesus's resurrection in the past. You guys remember that, those of you who were here last week? And so I would say that wouldn't be a bad thing to listen to today if you wanted to learn more about resurrection and how Jesus's resurrection would have something to do with your life. And for that, you can go on to our church's YouTube channel. And it's the, it's the most recent sermon that's up because it was last week's sermon. So I encourage you to listen to or watch any of those things. But for today, I'm going to tell the story of how I came to know Jesus. And if you are here and you're a visitor, um, this is not what we normally do. I normally teach a passage of scripture. Like that's what a normal sermon is here, or sometimes multiple passages of scripture. So if um, at the end of the sermon, you go, huh, that's not really what I wanted. I wanted someone that would teach a bunch of Bible passages. I would say, you know, don't freak out. You can come back next week. You can come back any of the other weeks. And that's what we will do. And if there are any of you here that you leave today after the sermon and you go, whoa, that sermon was so good, I would say, don't get too excited because that's not what we normally do. We normally preach a passage of scripture. So come back next week, come back in a few weeks and see if you're actually into what we do around here, okay? Um, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell the story. And before I do, I'm going to... um, I'm going, to tell you a th- I'm going to teach you a thing that my youth pastor taught me that was very helpful to me, and I think it's also helpful in telling the story. So I'll t- I teach you the thing that my youth pastor taught me, and then once I've taught it, I can tell my story, and I think I could tell the story better and faster if you know this thing first. So when I was in high school, my youth pastor put four chairs on the stage at youth group. Um, I don't remember how old I was, somewhere in my high school years, though. He put four chairs on the stage, and he said, there are four types of people in the world. And I don't think he made this up. I think he got it from somewhere else and taught it to us. And anyway, I got it from him and now I'm teaching it to you. But this is what he said. He said, there's four types of people in the world. And he went to one of the chairs and he said, there are people who are not Christians and they know that they're not Christians. And he moved to the next chair and he said, there are people who are not Christians and they don't know it. They think that they are. And then he moved to the next chair and he said, there are some people who are Christians and they don't realize it yet. They don't know it. They're not sure that they're a a follower of Jesus. And then he moved to the final chair and he said, there are people who are Christians and they know that they are Christians. 
And so I thought this was very helpful. I'm going to go through them one more time just to make sure you got it. I'll use different words this time. Um, he's basically saying that there are people who do not possess salvation. Like they're not a follower of God, so they've not been adopted. They're not one of his children. They're not um, promised like eternal peace and living with God forever. Their sins are not forgiven, right? They, they do not possess salvation. And they also do not possess like assurance of their salvation, right? They're, they're not saved and they don't think that they are, right? They don't even believe the God of the Bible. And then there are people who do not possess salvation, but do possess assurance of salvation, right? A false one. Like they think that they have a salvation they do not have. And then there are people who possess salvation, but don't have an assurance of salvation. They're not sure. And then there are people who possess salvation and they are sure that they are saved by God and they know him. Are you following me? Okay, so I think all of these categories are either um, explicitly or implicitly in the Bible. I think these really are biblical categories. I wasn't sure at first, but I'll tell you. I think that they are. First of all, when you look at the Bible, does the Bible acknowledge that there are people who are not Christians and they know that they're not Christians? Yes, I don't even have to show you a Bible verse for that. It's very obvious. There are characters in the Bible who are, you know, they, they worship other gods other than the true God. So they are very aware that they are not followers of the God of the Bible. They know that. Plenty of characters in the Bible like that. Does the Bible talk about people who um, are not Christians, but they think that they are? Is that in the Bible? Yes, I would say the most famous place is Matthew chapter seven. Jesus speaks of this issue. Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. It was his like, longest and most famous sermon that I can tell. And he gets toward the end of it and he says these words. Um, just listen closely. They're not gonna come up on the screen. I'm just gonna read them to you. And Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Now, it's a very interesting passage because, first of all, Jesus thought quite highly of himself. Did you notice in this passage? I know some people say like, oh, Jesus was just a good man and he didn't think he was like the divine son of God. Like if you notice in this sermon, Jesus talked about the day, like a particular day in the future when people are going to enter in the kingdom of heaven. And the way Jesus tells the story, you can tell he believes he is going to be the one on that day that determines who goes in and who does not. And he says, on that day, there are gonna be people that come up to me and call me Lord. They're gonna be like, I was one of yours. And I'm gonna say, you were not. I never knew you that there will be people who will, who will think that they are in. They will say, but weren't we in? And I will announce, no, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers, the people who um, do not do the will of my Father in heaven. So Jesus made it really clear, like there will be some people who will get to judgment day and be surprised. So yes, this is real. Now, what about this? Could there be people who are followers of God or believers in Jesus Christ, possess salvation, and they don't know it yet, or they're not sure, or they don't realize it yet. This was the one I was most skeptical of when I first heard it. I was like, is that even a thing? Could you be like a Christian and not know it? And I think that probably the best character that I can think of in the Bible that fits this description would be the thief on the cross. And if you've ever heard that story, you know it, but if you haven't, uh, let me just go ahead and tell it to you. Um, when Jesus died, he, uh, there was a criminal too on his right and on his left. That's often why you see paintings of Calvary and there's three crosses instead of one. Because the day they were executing Jesus, they were executing two other people, one on his right, one on his left. And according to Luke's account of the, what happened that day, Jesus was there on the cross dying. He was being tortured to death. And so, was, so were the criminals on each side of him. They were being tortured to death. And one of the criminals said to Jesus, while they're both nailed to crosses, 
he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I heard the story as a little boy, and I don't know if I really understood it, but now as an adult, I look back and realize like, whoa, that thief, that criminal that was on that cross actually had quite a lot of faith in Jesus. How do I, how do I know? Because he was dying. He knew that he was not going to live through that day. Like he knew he was going to die that day. And he was talking to someone who he knew was going to die that day. And he said to that someone, remember me when you get into your kingdom. So obviously he believed there is some sort of kingdom after this life. He knew he wasn't going to survive. I mean, he knew enough about crucifixion to know no one survives them. But yet he believed he was going to be in some sort of kingdom. And so he said to someone, this is so weird, he said it to someone who was also being tortured to death. He said to that someone, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He believed that the guy next to him was going to be the king of some sort of kingdom, even though they were both going to die that day. He thought there was some sort of, some sort of something that happened after death. He believed the person next to him who was dying on the cross was going to be a, a king of some sort of kingdom despite the fact that he was going to die that day. And so he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom because he believed Jesus was the king. And then Jesus said back to him what? It's very interesting. He did not say, oh, you want to be in the kingdom. Here's three easy steps, right? <laughs> admit, admit, confess, believe. No, he did not say, repeat this prayer after me, did he? He said, well, I mean, he essentially said, you're in, right? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. It seems to me that the thief on the cross was actually a believer in Jesus Christ, I would guess for at least several minutes before he realized it. <laughs> and then are there people in the scripture who they know, they follow Jesus, they believe in him and they know that they do? Are there people like this in the Bible? Yes, the Bible is primarily written to these people. So with having established that, now let me tell you the story of how I became a Christian. So my story starts in this chair. I think everybody's story starts in this chair, okay? I was born, and everybody gets pretty much, you're born in this chair because you're not born a Christian, right? You're not born a believer in Jesus Christ. And at some point, you realize that you don't know. Even if it's the, at some point somebody tells you about Jesus, you realize, okay, prior to being told that, I did not know that. So, so this is where everybody begins, right? I, I, um, I, I don't know anything about Jesus, and I am not, I'm not saved by him, right? So this is where I begin my story. I was born um, from a mom and a dad who were not married to each other at the time that I was born, okay? In fact, dad was married to another woman at the time that I was born. Um, much more scandalous in 1980 than it is now, okay? But it was like, <gasps> okay, back then that was huge. Okay, so, so dad's married to another woman, and, but he's sleeping with a woman that's not his wife, and the result of that was me. So I have two parents, they're not Christians, they're not even married to each other, and um, somewhere around when I was two years old, um, my mom becomes a Christian. So now we've got man who, and in fact, I, I can't remember exactly how the divorce went, but anyway, I, we've got man and woman who are not married to each other yet, and the woman becomes a Christian, and they have this two-year-old kid together. Um, and so mom becomes a Christian, and the, and the way she told me the story growing up is she said that she became a Christian while she was driving in the car listening to a radio preacher. So she's, just, she's driving in the car, hears, hears the gospel on the radio, and believes in Jesus Christ. And the, the cool thing about that is like, yay, go radio preachers. Like, it's wonderful that there are radio preachers that tell people about Jesus so they can come to know Jesus. But the downside to becoming a Christian as a result of a radio preacher is there is no person, like there's no real life Christian in your life that can like help you figure out, well, what's step two? What's step three, right? Like my mom became a Christian and then at that moment, she was the only Christian she knew. 
So she doesn't know what to do next, right? So a lot of times, and this happened even probably with some of you, especially those of you who became a Christian as an adult, like you, when, when you try to figure out what do I do next now that I believe in Jesus, well, the person who told you, you probably just went to their church, right? You didn't have to figure out what church to go to. You just went to the one that the person who told you about Jesus. But my mom didn't have that. So she just starts randomly visiting churches because she's like, well, I'm a Christian now. I guess I got to go and be part of one of these. So she shows up at a church and she said it was really boring. Okay, she's just like, oh, this is awful. I don't want to go to one of these. So, you know, my, I guess she assumed she picked a bad one. And so she, next week she went to a different one and it was like the same thing. And she's like, whoa, this is also boring. And then she left that one and she went to another one and she was like, whoa, this is awful too. And so every single one was really bad. And she's like, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do. These are, I, this is, these are painful to sit through, these services. Um, but, but there was something in her that knew like, I, I, I'm putting my own words into it. I remember how she phrased it. But essentially it was like, I'm one of these people. Like, I'm going to settle in at one of these no matter what. I just have to figure it out. So she kept going from church to church to church. Now, my father's not a believer at this point, but they're living together. And he teased her and he said, like, what are you going to do? Visit every single church in town? And she said, I will if I have to. And she just started visiting every church in town. And so at some point she decided, um, uh, this was the criteria of how she decided what church she was going to pick. I do not recommend you take my mom's criteria. I'm just telling the story as it happened. But what she decided was the first church I go to that I don't look at my watch the whole time, that's gonna be the church I stick at, okay? The first one I go to that I'm like, I can't wait to get out of there, that's gonna be the one I go to. And that's how we became Presbyterians, okay? <laughs> I, I grew up Presbyterian because at that particular moment, the Presbyterian preacher was more interesting than the Baptist preacher down the street. And that's how we became Presbyterians. So, we're, I'm, so I grow up now as a little kid in a Presbyterian church, and I think that mom, God was actually very gracious and led my mom to a very good church. Um, and so I grew up at this church, and so my mom at some point, now again, she's, she's living with a man, not her husband, and she has this little boy with him, and now she's a Christian. And so she's now trying to decide, well, what do I do? Like I, I'm assuming she went to a church enough times that she was like, I need to raise my son as a Christian, but I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Like, I've been a Christian for like, you know, six minutes. I don't know how to, I don't know how to raise my son to be a Christian. I got to do something. And so what she decided to do is I'm going to put him in Christian school, okay? And I, I think, I think that her idea was if I put him in Christian school, that will make up for what I'm not able to do because I just, I don't know. No, I, I can't teach him Bible verses I don't know. And so I'll put him in Christian school. Hopefully that will help. Um, and I am grateful that my mom um, did that. In fact, I have my kids in Christian school for the same reason. I'm very grateful. Um, however, the church that, I mean, the school that my mom picked was a harsh, legalistic um, school that was like very much lacking in grace, especially like the grace that Christians should have considering Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins in our place because we weren't good enough. Very rebukey, very condemnatory. I don't even know if those are words, but, but you know what I mean, right? Just, it was a very harsh legalistic church. It was an ethically confusing like, school for me because they would add rules to the Bible that were not in there. Like There were things, and they, and they made a big deal about them. It seemed like they made a bigger deal about the rules they made up than the rules that are even in the book. Um, and so they, they really made a big deal about all of these rules that are not in the scripture and you know, would very much be like judging of people who broke the rules that aren't even in the book. And so it was, just, it was, it was, a, it was a morally confusing um, way to grow up. And so what happens is, um, if you are, this is even true if you're a Christian, because I think they are. The, the school had the name Christian in it, and that's why I think my mom was like, Christian, that's good. And, um, and so I, I honestly think she put me in that school because she, did, she didn't know. She didn't know what she was putting me in the middle of. So um, I, I'm, 
one thing that you'll see, and this is true for any institution, this is true for individual Christians, if you have bad beliefs and bad behaviors, and by bad beliefs and bad behaviors, I mean like, um, you know, harsh and legalism and making up rules that aren't in there and enforcing rules that aren't in there. If you have bad beliefs and bad behaviors, it's going to lead to bad strategy. And so I think there was a bad strategy that was used on me. So um, I, I'm five years old, I get enrolled in my Christian school, so I'm a kindergartner, I'm in this chair, and I go to Christian school, and one day my kindergarten teacher presents the gospel to me. And the way that she presented the gospel to me, I don't remember it word for word, but I think, if I remember right, she presented the gospel in a way that was very similar to the way that school always presented the gospel to people, or often presented the gospel to the people. Um, there was very much a focus on hell, there was very much like, okay, sinners go to hell and they burn and they burn forever. It's very terrible. Do you want to burn forever? Um, and so there was, there was a focus on hell. And, that, and, so, and so, I'm, so basically she says, hell is an eternity where you're, you're on fire forever and sinners go there and all of you are sinners, right? So all of you are going there. Okay, and I'm, I'm five. <laughs> and so you're, you're, gonna burn, you're gonna burn for all of eternity. And then essentially it's like, or, or, or you don't have to. And the way that you cannot burn for all of eternity, and, and really, honestly, the gist of it was, repeat this prayer after me. Have you, you, you went to, some of you went to these same things, didn't you? So repeat this prayer after me. So I was five, but I wasn't dumb, okay? I was like, <laughs> sign me up for the prayer. Like, if there, is, if there are some words I can say to not burn forever, I will say whatever the words are. Now, I'm sure that she probably said, now you really need to mean them. But I really, the reason I think this is a bad strategy, the repeat this prayer after me, not saying it can't ever work anywhere in the whole world, but in general, the reason why I think it's a generally bad idea is if someone doesn't understand the gospel well enough to even talk to God about it in their own words, then they don't understand the gospel, right? If you're having to force feed someone a script because they don't really get it, then you've moved from people actually communing with the creator of the universe, and you've just moved it down into like magical incantation, spell, like see, repeat these words after me territory. And it's not that. We really need to make sure that people understand what it means to have a relationship with God so that they can then have a relationship with God in their own words. But instead, I was taught, say this. So she said, dear Jesus. I said, dear Jesus. She said, I'm a sinner. I said, I'm a sinner. She said, you know, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I said, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I repeated whatever she told me to say. Um, and then, I, I, if I remember right, at the end of the prayer, she said... Now you're a Christian, you're now saved. And what happened to me on that day is I moved from this chair to this chair, right? That's what happened. So now I'm a Christian, right? At least that's what I believe because she told me I was, right? She said I was a Christian because I prayed the prayer. I did not believe in Jesus. I did not understand him. I didn't even understand him well enough to, 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 to talk to him in my own words. I didn't pray to him. I didn't, I didn't trust in him as my savior. I didn't believe in him as my Lord, from that point on, I was told that I was a Christian, but from that point on, I lived my life the same way that I would if there were no God at all. So I continued to live my life, sin, sin, sin. Um, most of the time, didn't feel bad about it. Just lived my life being told that I did the thing that makes sure you don't go to hell. And now I live my life however I want. Um, and then something happened to me the summer of 1994. Um, I was 14 years old. I was between my eighth grade year and my ninth grade year um, at school. And the way that my family um, lived at the time is they had a small log cabin in North Carolina. And so from August to May, we were in Florida. And then like as soon as the last day of school hitched, we would travel up to North Carolina and we'd stay the end of May, June, July, and the first part of August. And then I think like 
two or three days before school started, we'd come back down from North Carolina. So we spent the whole summer um, every year in North Carolina and the whole school year in Florida. And to the best of my memory, this took place during that time in North Carolina. It might have, a little bit of it might have started beforehand, but I think for the most part, this took place that summer when I was up in North Carolina. And what happened to me, for whatever reason, is I felt the weight of all of my sins up to that point in my life simultaneously. And it was crushing. And it was, um, in some, at least at the time I was going through it, it was an awful summer. I remember crying a lot that summer. I can, I can remember feeling the collective guilt of all of my sins all at once instead of in a little bit at a time. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but I'll tell you what my normal life is like so you can contrast it with what happened to me that summer. In my normal life, even to this day, um, I, like, I will live my life and I will commit a sin. And then I will realize, hmm, a sin was just committed by me. And then I will feel bad about said sin, okay? And then I will apologize to God for what I just did. And then I will ask God to forgive me for what I just did. And I will repent. I will say, God, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to try not to do that anymore. And if the sin is against another human being, I will also include them in on it. I will apologize to them, ask them if they will forgive me and repent and say, I'm not going to do that anymore to you. Sorry. And then my life goes on. And then it happens again. Maybe the next day I commit a sin and I feel bad about it and I ask for forgiveness and I repent. And then a little bit more time goes by and I commit a sin and I, I ask for forgiveness and I repent. Um, and so my life is marked by like little bursts of shame that I, are honestly very good for me because they get me back on track. Okay, that's my life now. It's wonderful. I hope you have a similar one. What happened to me that summer was not that. What happened to me that summer was not little helpful bursts of shame um, like the way my life is now. It was like the crushing shame of everything I'd done all at once because I hadn't felt bad and repented and been forgiven all along. And so one day, I'm just remembering all of my sins. And some of, this, some of you have had this happen to you too, where like there was that day where you realized, like, I'm a bad person. And it's like emotionally, psychologically, it's very heavy. It's very burdensome. It feels like you're being just crushed on the inside. And you, and you come to the conclusion, like, I'm not fooling myself. I am a bad person. Like, I'm not a good person that occasionally does bad things. I'm a bad person that like sometimes does good things. And so I felt... This, this, this guilt that was so crushing because I could remember. I could remember all of the stuff I had done up into my life at that point. Um, and so I felt bad for all of my sins. I say all of my sins. I'm assuming at that point, I probably couldn't remember every sin. You know, I think sometimes you sin, you forget. So I, I probably couldn't remember every sin I did, but I have a very good memory. For those of you who know me, I have a very good memory. And so I probably was able to remember a, a good hundred or 200, I bet. And so I just remembered them all. Like I just, I, I could remember, like I, I told that person a lie. I knew that wasn't true. I said it anyway. And I lied and I lied and I could remember the lies I told. And I could remember the people that I stole stuff from. And I can re- remember like, you know, wrong things I'd done or things that my friends had pressured me into doing or things that I shouldn't have thought or like sexual sins that I had committed or um, like steal, I can remember stealing from my next door neighbors, one of their toys. I can remember stealing out of my brother's wallet. Like I could, I could remember all of these sins. And so I felt the collective guilt of all of them simultaneously. And in fact, the way that I'm phrasing it is not right, I don't think, because I think I'm using the word guilt wrong. At least it's the way I don't usually like the way to use the word guilt. Sometimes we use the word guilt to mean like an emotion, like sadness or anger, right? We say, I feel guilty. I don't think that's the best use of the word because there's already a word that means that, and it's the word shame. Shame is the emotion that's related to wrongdoing. But guilt has another definition, and it's a really important one that that as far as I know of, no other word has. 
Guilt is like a status. Like you either are guilty or you're not. And it doesn't have anything to do with your feelings. Did you know this? Like, there, there's, like if there's a particular wrongdoing and there's a particular crime and you did it, then you possess guilt because you did it. And if you didn't do it, then you possess, you are not guilty or you are innocent because you did not do it. That's actually what guilt is. It doesn't matter how you feel. It's just the status of having done wrong or not having done wrong. So in the American criminal justice system, that's what they try to determine, right? Guilt. You've got the attorneys there, you've got the jury there, you've got the judge there, and they're trying to determine whether the person is guilty or not. No one's trying to figure out how anybody feels when you're doing one of those court cases, right? They're just trying to figure out, is the person, not do they feel guilty, is this person in fact guilty, right? Did she, that's what the jury's trying to figure out. Did she burn down the apartment complex? Did he murder his wife? Like, did they do it or did they not do it? And if they did it, then we declare them to be guilty, regardless of how they feel. If they didn't do it, we declare them to be innocent, regardless of how they feel. So what happened to me in the summer of 1994 was not that I felt the collective guilt of all of my sins. What happened to me that summer is I realized that I was, in fact, guilty. Because the little jury that's in my head had convicted me. The little jury in my head said, you are guilty. And what's terrible about the little jury in your head is that the little jury in your head has access to all the evidence. The little jury in your head has seen everything you've seen, right? That's what's terrible about it. A human jury is fallible, right? A human jury can make mistakes. When we have a human jury in, with a court case, they, they do not have access to all the evidence, right? They didn't see everything. They don't know everything. The jury doesn't know everything. They have whatever evidence is able to be provided. And juries try to come up with their best approximation of justice based on the amount of evidence that they have. But the jury in your head has seen everything you've seen and it knows. It knows every lie you've told. It knows every thought you've had. It knows everything you've done. That little jury in your head is usually called a conscience. I just made up jury in your head because I like that better. But, but, that's, but you all have it too. You all have the same thing in your head. It's called a conscience. And the conscience is that thing inside you that testifies. It's the thing that says like, you're bad, you're wrong. You did a wrong thing. And, and, and I'm 100% sure you did it wrong. And so there I was, not feel, I mean, there were a lot of feelings of shame, but what really, the most important thing that happened is I sat there and realized that I, I did in fact stand condemned. I had done wrong thing after wrong thing after wrong thing after wrong thing my whole life. And it, it, was, it, was, it was a burden too big to bear. Some of you have been in that moment. It's, it's, it's a burden that you cannot bear on your own. And so I cried out to the only God I knew. The, 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 the same God of the kindergarten teacher, right? The God of the Bible, the God who sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. That was the, the only God I knew to turn to is the one that I'd heard about. I had heard that there was a God who had sent his son to die on the cross for my sins in my place so that I could be forgiven. And I was like, well, that's exactly what I need right now, forgiveness. And so I begged God multiple times that summer, will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me? I'm a terrible person. Will you please make it like I'm not? Will you please wipe it clean? Will you please forgive me? I asked him so many times. Now, looking back on it now, I bet that he said yes the first time I asked, but I asked over and over again, just in case the earlier ones didn't take. And it, it seemed like it was all summer long. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And then another thing that I realized that summer is even if I'm going to live the life that I'm living and then I say, God, please forgive me. Even if he says yes and he forgives me. If I 
go back to Florida and start doing all the same things that, that got me into the situation I'm in, I'm not gonna be any better off. So I remember praying, not just please forgive me, but like, please change me. I wanna follow you for now on. I wanna do what you want for now on. I don't wanna be the same person. I don't wanna keep doing the same things. I want you to be my leader. I want you to be the Lord of my life for now on. So not only forgive me, but please help me go in a different direction, your direction. And what was happening that summer is I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I did not know that that's what I was doing because I was told I was fine. So I wasn't trying to become a Christian. When I was praying that summer, I did not say, God, please make me a Christian. I did not say, please take me to heaven when I die. I did not say, please rescue me from hell. Like I wasn't thinking about any of that. I was just thinking, I am a, a sinful person. The shame I feel is, is real because the guilt is real. I, I, I just wanna be forgiven and I just wanna live a whole new life. And so I became a follower of Jesus. I accepted him as my Lord and Savior that summer, did not know that that was happening. Um, and I asked him to change my life, and he did. So we left North Carolina, went back to Florida, and I had my freshman year in high school. And so, I mean, essentially, I guess the day that I believed that Jesus was my, the one who would save me from my sins and believed that he was the one I was gonna live for for the rest of my life, I, I guess I kind of moved to this chair. Um, I mean, not perfectly, because I told you at the beginning of the sermon, a lot of times someone that's in this chair would say that they're not a Christian, right? And I probably at this point would have said I was a Christian, but for the wrong reason. I would have said, if you asked me, are you a Christian? I would have said yes, because of what my kindergarten teacher had told me a long time ago. So I would have said it for the wrong reason. I didn't realize that I was a new Christian. So um, going through my freshman year and my life changed. There were certain things I used to do and I was like, I'm going to stop doing that. And there were certain friends I had that I was like, I can't keep hanging out with them because I keep doing the things I used to do when I'm ever hanging out with the people I used to hang out with. And so I started changing things in my life drastically. Um, and I started reading the Bible voluntarily, started praying voluntarily, like my life changed. And then somewhere in the middle of my freshman year, I came across this Bible verse. Um, ever since I found it, it's my, been my favorite Bible verse ever since. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And it says this. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And even though I was young and in high school, like there was a point where I realized, I know what that verse means. I don't, well, I don't think I even heard a sermon on it. Like I just, I figured it out. Like I realized if any man is in Christ... That means like if a person is a Christian, like if any person is in Christ, like on his team, part of his deal, right? That, those people that are in that status, these people who belong to Christ, they're new creations. Something has changed them. The old has gone, the new has come. And there was a point where I was like, that happened to me. Like there was a moment of like before and after. There was a moment that I didn't follow him and then I did. There wasn't a moment, there was a moment where I didn't trust in him and then I did. Like there was a before and after. I am a new creation. And it dawned on me that did not happen when I was five years old. It happened to me last summer. And so somewhere that year I went like, I became a Christian last summer on accident, okay? <laughs> Which was fantastic. I didn't know anybody else that's become a Christian on accident, but that's what happened. And so whatever day that was that I realized I became a Christian on accident, I moved from this chair to this chair. And I have been in this chair ever since. And I highly recommend it to all of you. (laughs) 
I will tell you just a little bit more about the rest of my story. Um, this is really the main thing I wanted to tell you, but I know that there are some people who do not like it when someone tells their testimony and they just tell right up to the moment that they believed in Jesus and then just cut it off there as if nothing they did for the rest of their life matters. Um, and so for that reason, I will just fill you in on how we got from there to, to where I'm at now in my life. Um, so at this point, I started going to a youth group. My father had passed away. My father actually had died when I was nine. And so the Christian like male role model in my life was a guy named Mike. He was the youth pastor at the church. And so Mike was just the guy that I wanted to be like. I, got, I don't know if this is always true. You can come up to me afterwards if you like, lost your dad at a young age and if you felt like, well, do I need to get a, like, a replacement guy? To... And, so I, so I, and I don't know that I did it consciously, but at some point I realized, like, oh, this is the person I'm sort of allowing to be the role model of my life. I want to be like my youth pastor. And so there was a good, I don't know, I'd say there was at least a good decade of my life where when I was trying to make decisions, I would even like think to myself, like, what should I do? And I think, well, what would Mike do? I think this is what he would do. And then I would just make the decision I thought he would make. So I really admired my youth pastor. So it's no shock that I um, like went into the same, whatever, field that he did. Like I went into youth ministry. I was an intern under him um, at this big youth ministry. And then um, was a youth pastor for, you know, did, I worked in youth ministry from my age 19 until I think 31. So what, I guess that's 12 years that I was in youth ministry. Somewhere during those 12 years, I realized that I, I like teaching the Bible not just to middle school and high school kids. I like teaching the Bible to all ages. And so I switched to whatever you call what I do now, all ages pastor. Um, and I came here to Ocala and started Good News Church 12 years ago, almost 11 and a half years ago. Um, and so that's what brings me to the the day that we're in right now. All right, so um, why did I tell you that story? Um, the reason I told you that story is because, first of all, I, I, I would say I tell this story once every five years or so. It's just, I think, I just, I tell this story once every five years. And, and typically what happens is um, people find it helpful. People find it helpful to hear the story because there are many people who can identify with it. There are many people who can identify at least with a portion of it. There are some, it seems like there's people in the room who can remember when they did not believe in Jesus and they knew that they didn't believe in Jesus. There are people in the room who can remember when they thought they were a Christian and they were not. There are people in the room who can remember, oh yeah, when I first became a Christian, I didn't have a clue what was going on. You know, and I remember just like weeping at home and looking at my Bible and people acting like I'm weird. And you're like, I remember that was, a, that was a rough month. And I can remember, and there are people that go, I know what it means to be a follower of Jesus know that you're following Jesus. Like there are people that can identify with pieces of the story and it's helpful for them. Um, a lot of times when I tell my story, there are people who realize that they're in this chair. Um, there are some people that it's helpful for them because they didn't even know that this was a category. And so when they hear my story and they hear this category, there are times when I tell the story and there are people that are going, wait a minute, I think I might be one of the people in this chair. And I think that's good for you to think that through. Um, you know, is it possible? Is it possible that I'm in this chair? It is possible that you're in this chair. Sometimes people in this chair, I, I lived in this chair for a while. And so there are times where I tell the story and people go like, I think I'm in chair two. Which, and what's funny about that is as soon as you realize you're in chair two, like automatically you're now in chair one, okay? Like just by definition, the moment you realize you're sitting in this chair, you're now in this one, right? And I think that's good. I, I bet there are people in this room right now who are going, I think it's very possible I'm in this chair. And what you really need to do is you need to deconvert. You need to go, move back to this chair so that you can consider the claims of Christ and decide, am I really gonna follow him? Is he really gonna be my Lord and Savior? It's very hard to do that from this chair. Yes, I did it. I don't recommend it though. I don't, think, I don't know a lot of people that become Christians on accident, okay? I don't think that's the path you should try to follow. 
I think the best thing to do is to deconvert and just admit, I don't, I don't love him, I don't follow him. He's not the one I'm trusting in. And then consider, okay, is it, is it true that there is a God who created this world and there really is right and wrong? Is it true that I've done wrong more times than I can count? Is it true that if that God were just and fair, he would punish me for the wrong I've done? And is there a way of escape? Did that God really send someone who would take punishment on my behalf so that I could be freed from that? So that the shame could go away and so that I could live with him and for him forever? Did he really send Jesus to die on the cross and rise again? And if he did, then you should place your faith in him, which will then take you out of this chair and move you over there. So you need to consider that because I bet you there are some of you in this chair and you could be in this chair for all sorts of reasons. It doesn't have to be because your story's like mine. There are people who end up in this chair because they were told that um, they walked an aisle and that's what made them a Christian. There are people that are told they were signed a commitment card and that what's, that's what gets them in. There are people that are told now that you're a member of the church, you're in. There are people that are told now that you're baptized, at the moment you're baptized, it's, that's what happens. And there are people that are taught, um, there's people that you're taught you're born a Christian. Like you become a Christian the same way you become like German, right? That just we're a Christian family. That's what you are, right? There are people that are given all sorts of reasons to think that they are. But there does come a moment where if you can and if you know it, you need to take advantage of the knowledge you have and deconvert and then really decide, am I really gonna follow Jesus? Is he really my, my Lord, the person who I obey? And my savior, the person who I'm trusting, not my own self-righteousness, but what he's done? And become a follower of Jesus. And so that's why I tell this story. Also, if you're here today and you're a Christian, like let's say you're someone that's in chair four and you're like, well, why did we have to hear the story? We know all this. Um, well, first of all, I would say this. There are a lot of you that are new around here these past couple of years. I don't think it's bad for you to know the story of how your pastor came to know Jesus. That was not a waste of time. Um, but also this, this story gives me an opportunity to remind you of something very, very important for those of you that are in this chair. One of the big reasons that Good News Church exists Okay, one of the big purposes of this church is to help people who are in these chairs move to these chairs. Amen. That's why we do it, because the difference between these two chairs is, is huge. And so, so for those of you who think, I, mean, I think maybe I'm over in this chair, is it, is it really a big deal? I will tell you right now, just judging by the way Jesus spoke in the Gospels, the difference between these two chairs and these two chairs is the difference between eternal judgment and eternal peace. My kindergarten teacher was right on that part. I think the repeat after me strategy was bad, but she was not incorrect about that. It's the difference between eternal judgment and eternal peace. So if you don't know Jesus, you certainly need to. And if you're someone here who knows Jesus, you need to remember one of the big reasons we exist is to help people move this way. And none of this would be true or even possible if Jesus did not die on the cross for our sins and rise again from the grave. Happy Easter. Let's pray. God, I pray right now for every person who is in chair one, and I pray that they would come to know you. I pray that they would consider the claims of Jesus Christ and that you would grant them eternal peace and, and escape from eternal judgment. And I thank you that you did that for me. I pray for the people who are in chair number two. I pray that you would um, enlighten their spiritual eyes so that they may come to know you. And I thank you that you have done that for me. And I pray that you would give them eternal peace and escape from eternal judgment. 
I pray for people in chair three. I don't think very many people are here for very long, but I know that there's that time where just you're going, I don't, I don't even understand all this. I just, I think I believe in Jesus. And I pray that you would grow them in their faith and use them in the lives of other people for your will. And I pray for everybody in this room who is someone who knows you and knows that they know you. I pray that you would help us with our words and with our behaviors and with our life, help people move in the right direction for your sake. We love you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you that we have good news to tell. We thank you for your resurrection, Jesus. We thank you for the resurrection to come. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.